0: In 1973, the American psychologist David Rosenhan did a study in which he sent healthy men and women of various ages and jobs to various mental hospitals. They all pretended to be mentally ill, so they were admitted to the hospitals. When describing their illness, they would use vague terms like hearing noises. After they were admitted to hospital, they acted and behaved normally without showing any signs or symptoms of any mental illness. On average, they all stayed in a mental hospital for nearly 20 days, where they felt they were losing their sense of autonomy and power to be themselves. They kept a journal of their experience. At first, they did it secretly but later openly, which was seen by the hospital staff as a somewhat odd behaviour. The staff didn't detect they were fake, however some of the other patients noticed they might be fake. Rosenhan repeated the experiment later but this time he told the staff that among the new patients there might be one imposter, someone who pretends to be mentally ill. The staff were asked to raid the new patients to find the fake one. Out of 193 real patients, 41 genuine patients were suspected as fake and 23 patients with real mental illnesses were flagged as fake by at least one psychiatrist. The qualitative study is not the point here, the point is the sentiment that a lot of modern illnesses are not real or made up to either sell drugs or control people. In 1961 the Hungarian American psychiatrist published a book called The Myth of Mental Illness in which he argued that mental illness is a way of labelling someone. He argued that a lot of what is termed as mental illness is simply life being too tough at times. I am not suggesting that mental illnesses are not real, of course, a lot of people go through serious pain due to their psychological problems. Why is this relevant here? The protagonist of J.D. Salinger's Catcher in the Rye, Holden Caulfield, is sent to a mental asylum or an institution, but he himself doesn't think he's sick. Instead, he thinks everyone else is sick. Kind of. He has two real problems with society. But before I tell you what these problems are with society, let me first summarize the novel so you understand the story. Later I'll explain why Holden diagnoses two illnesses in the modern world which resonate with nearly every human being on earth. I'll also answer these questions. How did J.D. Salinger's masterpiece The Catcher in the Rye capture the imagination of generations of readers? How the anger of its protagonist, Holden Caulfield, still divides us between compassion and tough love. And finally, what is the psychology of an angry teenager in today's world? What does this novel tell us about the modern world? And why our YouTube psychologist in residence, Jordan Peterson says grow up and stop complaining? But first, let me summarize the novel. Summary. The Catcher and Rye, published in 1951 is not only the most censored novel in American schools for use of vulgar language, sex, alcohol and antisocial sentiments, the novel has also been associated with horrific events. In 1980, John Lennon was shot on the back by a man with a copy of the novel who called Lennon a fake, saying imagine no position, yet he himself was living a lavish lifestyle like a king. In 1981, a man attempted to kill Ronald Reagan, the former US president, and the police found a copy of this novel in his hotel room. In 1989, a man had a copy of this book when he murdered the actress Rebecca Schaefer in California. How can such a short novel loved by millions of people be associated with these horrific events? Imagine the 1940s in New York City, JD Salinger is in his 20s, he was born in 1919 right after the first world war and during the Spanish flu pandemic. He has dropped out of two universities but has finished a degree in creative writing, which let's face it is not the best way to make money. The second world war is raging in Europe, but America is watching from a safe distance. Then in December 1941 the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. Now millions of young Americans are anxiously waiting to be drafted and sent to war. As a 17-year-old American boy, you are anxious to turn 18 and be drafted to fight the Japanese and the Germans in some far distant places you have never been or seen. As a teenage boy, you thought your battle was with girls, finding one to mate or or even marry. But now you have to fight people you don't know, who don't speak your language. You like this girl called Sally, but forget about her, you have to fight a war in a different continent. Now let me make it clear, JD Salinger served in second world war, but he doesn't mention it in the novel. But you can feel the tension and the angst of a 17 year old boy about to turn 18 and the real possibility of dying in a foreign country. Salinger however turns that angst into one of the most beautiful tales of modern literature. The catcher in the rye is narrated by Holden Caulfield, 17, who tells his own story of teenage rebellion. He's been having some psychological problems, so he's under some kind of treatment where he has to remain until next month. But this hospital or sanatorium is a perfect place to write a novel telling his story. Even from the first sentence, we know his rebellious attitude towards everything including storytelling. Could If you really want to hear about it, the first thing you will probably want to know is where I was born, and what my lousy childhood was like, and how my parents were occupied and all before they had me, and all that David Copperfield kind of crap, but I don't feel like going into it, if you want to know the truth. Despite Salinger rebelling against Dickens here, he actually published the novel in a serial form, a craft which Dickens is known for. Most of the story is set in New York in the winter, but the story starts at his boarding school in the neighbouring state of Pennsylvania where Holden has failed a few exams and has issues listening to his teacher, so it is highly likely that he would be expelled from school. His only redeeming quality is his English grades, so one of his classmates named Stradlater asks him to write an essay for him. Holden agrees. He writes the essay about a red glove that belonged to his own brother, who has died of cancer. Stradlater reads it and he’s not impressed. Glove? Holden tries to hold his rage. You know that his brother meant a huge deal to him. Salinger is a master of showing, not telling. We feel Holden’s deep pain of losing his brother at such a young age. To make matters worse, Stradlater has been on a date with Jane, a girl Holden fancies himself. Now, his only redeeming quality his writing is question. But to add salt to the injury, he's also dating a girl Holden likes. Holden snaps and punches Stradlater. But unfortunately, just like his school grades, he fails in his fight too. He receives a few punches in the nose and falls to the ground. He tries to get some sympathy from his roommate Robert Ackley, but he's asleep. Holden is like a wounded animal now. His only option is an escape from it all. School no school. Holden decides enough is enough. He takes a train to New York to escape it all. Nowadays, American teenagers head to Florida for spring break to escape it all for some excitement and freedom. Back then, or for Holden specifically, New York has that allure of freedom. He hates school, his classmates, and now to make matters worse, his parents are about to find out about his failed exams so he might be kicked out of school soon. It's important to note that Salinger himself dropped out of two universities, New York and Orsinus College, so he had plenty of experience with schools he didn't like. It's the 1940s in New York seems like a perfect place to drown your sorrows and chill out for a few days. Although he rejects his Dickensian heritage, Holden is in search of something in New York. Just like Dickens' heroes went to London to escape poverty and seek fortune. Holden however is escaping phonies or pretentious people but I think he's escaping his own humiliation. He doesn't want to face people when he's down. We all do, I guess. In New York, he's free to reinvent himself like the great Gatsby. Quote, I'm the most terrific liar you ever saw in your life. It's awful. If I'm on my way to the store to buy a magazine, even, and somebody asks me where I'm going, I'm liable to say I'm going to the opera. First, on the train, he makes some stories to seduce a woman who happens to be one of his classmates' mother, but it doesn't work. She an older woman and he's a teenage boy. Then later in New York, in a taxi, he asks the most famous question in the novel. Where do the ducks go in the winter when the lake in New York Central Park freezes? The driver is not really keen to talk. Perhaps he has his own issues or most taxi drivers meet crazy people all the time. Who knows? Remember, Holden tries to connect with someone and he has failed so far. At his hotel, he tries to find interesting people to talk, but everyone is boring. So rather unconventionally, he finds a prostitute. Not to have sex with, but talk. We know that Holden is seeking a Freudian talking cure. The ability to talk to someone who doesn't judge you. Your teachers always judge you because it's their job. Your classmates judge you because school is a place of judgement. Your parents judge you and compare you to the kids next door. So Holden is seeking someone who doesn't judge him. So a random prostitute is like a good option because he can pay her to talk to him. Lonely men seek two professionals, prostitutes and therapists. Holden is no different. Unfortunately for him, he is seeking therapy from the wrong person. Sunny, the prostitute, is not used to her clients asking to just talk or perhaps talking is not part of her repertoire. So she leaves and comes back with her manager to extract more money from the young runaway punk. He's emptied off his pocket which reminded me of the great expectation when Pip is held upside down by the convicts so the coins drop down on the ground. Holden then gets punched in the stomach a few times. Man, he needs to learn how to fight. He's terrific at starting a fight but never winning one. He's very French, artistic, angry, protesting, rebellious, but always gets beaten up. Sorry for my French comrades, that's a joke. If I'm being perfectly honest, I'm talking about myself. So Holden is left with his wound, so he uses his imagination to wave ways to take revenge on the man. As a small man myself, I have murdered so many people in my head, especially in my younger days. Without the muscle to defend yourself, you're left to imagine things. His New York adventure with Stranger has gone wrong, so he calls a familiar face, a friend, Sally, a girl he fancies, and they go to theater, ice skating and shopping. Life is good again and you know what happens when you are happy? You do dumb things. He suddenly asks her to run away with him to live in some other states in the wild and be free. What did you say? He talks excitedly about running away from everyone. No familiar eyes can spy on him or judge him. Sally looks at him in the eye and thinks he's gone mad. She refuses of course. Before he does something more impulsive, she leaves him. Disappointed, Holden calls another friend and he too is annoyed by his random questions. Holden finally decides to sneak into his parents' house and talk to his little sister Phoebe, who is perhaps the only genuine human being in Holden's entire world because she's still a child. Their reunion is an extremely moving moment in which Holden tells her about his future job of saving children from falling down a cliff. He even starts sobbing at this point. We get to know Holden's true feelings about childhood, perhaps lamenting the end of his own childhood. Marcel Proust said that we die many times in our lifetime. A child turning to adult is the death of that child. Becoming an adult is like a teenager being drafted to go to war where the possibility of death is quite real. Becoming an adult means the child dies inside you. Holden is trying to hold on to that innocence and magical time. In 1940s, World War II was raging where millions upon millions of young men as soon as they turned 18 were drafted to fight and, and thousands of them never returned home. So becoming an adult came at a huge cost. Before his parents return home, he leaves to visit a former English teacher whom he respects a lot. Despite not agreeing with him about certain novels like Hemingway's novel a Farewell to Arms, his teacher says pretty much the same thing as his other teachers that Holden is ruining his future by being sloppy with, with his school grades. Holden's biggest problem is that he doesn't plan things for the future. He wants to be in here and now like a Zen Buddhist. At one point when he's asleep, his teacher strokes his hair, which he interprets as sexually charged and inappropriate. He leaves him and spends the night at the train station's waiting room. The next day he meets Phoebe again and tells her about his plan to head west and live a simple life somewhere remote. She asks him to join but he refuses. They have a fight but later reconciled at the New York Zoo. Holden watches his little sister ride in the castle and he is incredibly happy. The joy on her face fills his heart and he knows that nothing can compare to seeing a child joyful. That unadulterated joy raw, honest and pure. Once you become an adult, you lose it. The novel ends when Holden finally meets his parents. Perhaps they decide to send him to a hospital or sanatorium where he is now recovering. He tells us that next September he's going to a different school. At this point he says he doesn't want to continue his story because it makes him nostalgic and makes him miss his classmates. The novel ends with these lines, quote, Even old Stradlater and Ackley for instance. I think I even miss that goddamn Maurice. It's funny, don't ever tell anybody anything. If you do, you start missing everybody. Analysis. Childhood. Childhood might be a modern invention. If you go back 200 years ago, children work alongside adults from very young age. Dickens' novels are full of kids working. Even today in poorer countries, children have to work to make a living. On the one hand, Holden is a spoiled child who complains about everyone here his schoolmates, teachers, parents and society. He criticizes everyone for being judgmental but he himself is the most judgmental of all. Not just that, he's refusing to grow up and take responsibility. That's why he calls everyone phony because one of the major traits of being an adult is to take responsibility even though you hate doing so. Deep down everyone would like to live in a blissful childhood forever but unfortunately at some point we have to grow up. In Gunter Grass's novel Tindrum, Oscar stops growing up physically but mentally he has to grow up because he lives during the war. Here Holden has a relatively easy life of it so he's physically an adult but mentally a child. You could say comfort turns everyone into children. Childhood is extended in the safest countries. Salinger tries to paint a picture here. Children are so innocent and beautiful and magical quote, It's funny, you take adults, they look lousy when they are asleep and they have their mouth way open. But kids don't. Kids look alright. They can even spit all over the pillow and they still look alright. Sigmund Freud said that fiction writing resembles child's play. If you look closely at fiction in general, the theme of childhood appears very strong in all the greatest novels ever written. It is the novelist's attempt to recapture the magic of childhood. Marcel Proust's In Search of Lost Time is a perfect example as it is entirely based on recapturing memories of childhood, but most importantly that childhood eye in how one sees and experiences the world without judgement, assumptions and biases. Childhood is nature. Friedrich Nietzsche's Übermensch goes through a second phase of childhood to gain the creative impulses we lose as adults. When you grow up you lose that natural excitement. Here Salinger pinpoints at that moment when a child has to transition. For a lot of people the transition is smooth so we don't really realize the drama. But for some the transition is like stepping into a different country, another world. People act differently, they don't appear genuine, they fake most of the time, they try to be pleasant, nice, polite. We lose that childlike honesty so we have to apply ourselves and behave. In Holden's case, his refusal is met with hospitalization. In other words, he's diagnosed with some mental problems. Will he recover? We don't know. But society wants us tame, obedient, and orderly. It starts with parents, then school, and then the state telling us to apply ourselves. Tough love versus sympathy. The novel has divided the world into two camps. On the one hand, those who say man up and take responsibility, goddammit, they have a point. However, there are also those who feel sympathy for Holden because they think he suffers from a mental illness. Most institutions, including the government, think that you should go through a treatment, which he does in this novel. Now the question I pose at this start, why do we love and hate Holden at the same time? it goes really deep. Holden is not someone on the page. He's a real person. He's every one of us. All, we have all been there. He articulates how we feel at some point in our life. His language, words, comic tone, attitude and his cynical voice are all beautifully done. I don't know how Salinger managed to capture it but he has created a genuine peace of heart, a mirror so we can see ourselves in. I think Sollinger must have tried to recreate Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn to capture that raw honest voice but instead of 19th century America, he brought it to 20th century America things have changed a lot. Unlike the 13-year-old Huckleberry Finn, who is incredibly resourceful when he has nothing, the 17-year-old Holden is rich and educated. You could say a bit spoiled because he has it all. He doesn't have to struggle with poverty, so his struggle is inside him, not on the outside world. We in the West live in the most prosperous period in history, so our struggle is not for survival but for a meaningful place in society. We have plenty of food and we live in a safe society, yet we are not satisfied. You cannot imagine Dickens writing The Catcher in the Rye back in the 19th century. It would have been difficult to sell such a novel back then, but the world has changed. You could say we are hardwired to find new struggles. If none exists on the outside, we invent ones on the inside. This debate is especially strong in America between those who say toughen up and take responsibility and those who try to cushion the young by creating the so-called safe space in which criticism of any kind is seen as an attack. Canadian YouTuber, psychologist in residence, after many years of clinical practice, published his best-selling book 12 Rules for Life, in which he diagnosed the youth of today, instead of sorting their lives, want to change the world. He says grow up and stop complaining about the world when your own room is in a mess. A huge number of young people, instead of applying themselves and sorting out their own personal problems, take on the job of rescuing other people through what is called social justice war. Remember, Holden too wanted to save children from falling down a cliff into adulthood. Peterson echoes the Russian writer Fyodor Dostoevsky, who similarly was telling the Russian young intellectuals to not mess up with the Russian society destroying its fabrics. Of course they didn't listen to him, as a result there were revolutions, counter revolutions and 70 years of socialism and authoritarian rule. So Peterson's main argument is that the modern capitalist society, especially the liberal version is the best we humans have achieved. No society has ever been freer, fairer and as just as this one, so stop complaining. This sentiment is echoed by immigrants in America, especially the first generation, who for the most part escape poverty and lack of freedom. The second and third generation immigrants might have a different outlook because they don't have their parents' experience of hardship or lack of freedom. The old adage, the more cushioned you are, the more you have things to complain about. Economists and policymakers support immigration precisely because it rejuvenates the economy as immigrants not only bring new ideas, energy, and hard work, but they also bring the attitude of getting on with life despite the hardship. Prosperity breeds softer people. That's the reason the civilizations rise and fall. We seek comfort, but in the long run, comfort destroys us. As a result of immigration, America has maintained itself as the economic and innovation powerhouse in the world. Japan, however, has a huge problem, especially faces a pension crisis because it has more insular policy towards immigration. Japan has the highest national debt per capita in the world and also the oldest people. Now going back to the novel, despite Salinger beautifully capturing the voice of a cynical teenager, I think it's a lot more than a teenage or a young adult novel. You could say it's a novel of midlife crisis thinly disguised as a teenage rebellion. Salinger wrote it when he was in late 20s and 30s after serving in the US army during World War II and the 1940s and saw some horrific scenes which must have remained with him for the rest of his life. Once seen, it cannot be unseen. Of course today 17-year-old boys don't have the anxiety of being drafted in the army. Another important fact worth mentioning is that Salinger visited his father's slaughterhouse in Poland which disgusted him with meat and he became a vegetarian. On a psychological level, he must have questioned his family's business, his father's existence as someone who made money by slaughtering animals. As children, we are shielded from the ugliness of the real world and once we know we question reality. It's a huge shock in the system. Holden cannot accept fake people. While we love Holden on the page, we would dislike him off the page. He would be a nightmare in real life. He's impulsive, judgmental, and a liar. We love him because he articulates how we feel and felt at some point in our life. But don't get me wrong, we don't want to be friends with someone who is negative or cynical like him. We don't want to be someone who resembles us, our cynical and constantly negative self. We like to spend time with people who bring the best out of us, not the worst of ourselves. We love people who are responsible, reliable and accountable. We might have negative qualities in ourselves, but we never like those things in other people. We want others to man up or woman up and not complain. However, we like to complain from time to time. We all have that selfish tendency. So we love Holden for his comic, cynical tone on the page but would run away from him if we meet him in person. No surprise that all his friends ran away from him. He tells you everything as it is, honest and often harsh. I think we tend to like some bullshit in our life. Why? Modern capitalism. Now, going back to the two problems Holden has with modern society, what are those problems? He thinks everyone around him is fake, which brings me to his biggest problem. Unlike millions and billions of human beings, he's unable to fake it to fit in in society. He calls out the people he comes across as phonies, fake, and pretentious. As a result of his rebellion, he's put in a mental hospital where he's supposed to learn how to apply himself and become a responsible adult. However, seeing things from his perspective, the whole world is a giant prison or a mental institution that reforms, molds, and, and reshapes us into obedient, fake, and phony, yet responsible adults. Is becoming an adult a kind of acting, faking, or being pretentious? Children can be honestly rude and crude, which is more acceptable, but negative honesty from an adult is not acceptable so we learn to be nice, polite and pleasant, even at the cost of being fake. In a capitalist society, the fundamental accepted truth or gospel is that customer is always right. This means in order to sell something to make money, you never call out the bullshit of your customers. No matter how unreasonable, stupid a customer is, the seller is supposed to bite their tongue. Not just sellers, employees also should bite their tongue so they can get a job. Being professional means you have to ignore the bullshit from others at all times. Over decades and centuries, you learn to fake a smile. This has become the norm. Wherever there is money exchange, you act professional, polite and nice. So you can never be honest with a customer, and employers and even colleagues. Since we spend most of our waking hours dealing with these people, by the time we meet friends, we may continue to fake it. This has become part of being a fully functional professional adult in a highly advanced capitalist society. But it works. Why? Because capitalism invented something incredible. While money, mass production and technology are amazing inventions of capitalism, its biggest invention is the future. This brings me to Holden's second problem, he doesn't believe in the future. In a capitalist society, the future is more important than the present or the past. It turned our innate fear of a cold winter into an economy. You constantly collect wood for burning. No matter how hot the place you have, you always think about the future, a cold winter. Even towards the very end of the novel, he's still not convinced that he should think about the future. Could. A lot of people, especially this one psychoanalyst guy they have here, keeps asking me if I'm going to apply myself when I get back to school next September. It is such a stupid question in my opinion. I mean how do you know what you're going to do till you do it? Holden is an artist who wants to be in the moment. Or he's a Zen Buddhist who likes to be in here and now. Fun fact, Salinger was heavily drawn to Zen Buddhism. He disliked fame and attention. He lived a recluse life despite his popularity. He lived to be 91 years old. So perhaps living in the moment means you live a long time, because you don't worry about the future. A Zen Buddhist tells you here and now, but your society tells you the future and more future. So Holden is a lone protester against the future. Everyone tells him to apply himself, but he prefers living in the moment. But fortunately or unfortunately for him, the future always wins in the end. Most of us learn to apply ourselves because that's how society is sustained. That's how the world functions. Everyone has to take responsibility and do something. Capitalism prospers and we succeed if we delay gratification and think about the future. Being in the moment is good, but being in the future always wins in the long run. Of course, living in the future has a huge psychological toll on a lot of us. To cope with that huge toll, a lot of people become addicts, mentally ill and in worst cases end their lives. Holden ends up in a hospital while the rest of us have to cope with it any way possible. But reading this novel is one of the best medicines out there. That's what literature does. It articulates our feelings about the world and that's therapeutic in itself. Literature is a mirror so we can see ourselves, our flaws and strengths. The Catcher in the Rye resonates with me because I recognize myself in Holden, the whiny and complaining side of me. This recognition allows me to judge myself, apply myself. So hats off to J.D. Salinger for writing one of the most amazing novels you will ever read yourself. It's not just the Catcher in the Rye, but it's also catcher in us. Thank you for watching.